This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Miwa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over, and Aobami Adebayo has written an amazing, amazing, amazing book. It's called A Spell of Good Things. It's her second novel. It's a follow-up to the critically acclaimed Stay With Me from 2017, which I think a lot of us remember because it made so much good noise. It was so excellent, that book. But A Spell of Good Things is just out. I know we want to stay away from spoilers, but can I ask you to set up the story for listeners and then we can go gallivanting off with all of the stuff we want to talk about? (laughs) Thank you so much, Miwa. Thank you for having me. So A Spell of Good Things begins with a young boy named Eniola and is in secondary school, he's sort of preparing to write exams that will take him to the university. He wants to go to the university, but his family is so impoverished at this point in time that he's going to a school, but he's having a lot of trouble in school because his parents can't pay his fees and he doesn't have the textbooks he needs. And then on the other side of town is um, Wurala, Who's a young doctor? She's the perfect daughter of Nigerian parents. She's a, you know, she studied medicine. She got all the good grades. She's not engaged yet at the beginning of the book, but at some point in the book, she becomes engaged and becomes an even more perfect daughter than she was before. So it's the story of both their families, really. Um, we cycle through different members of the family, but these two people are the Hancock characters. Their lives sort of intersect in all kinds of consequential ways. This novel broke my heart so many times for all of the good reasons and all of the right reasons. And I have to say, I'm going to start with Eniola for a second because his dad gets fired as a teacher. His dad is a history teacher in secondary school. And the current government says, Oh, no, no, we don't need the humanities. We only need science and technology. We don't need art teachers. We don't need music teachers. We don't need history teachers. We don't need the humanities. We only need the things that will push us forward. And this is what starts the family's downward trajectory. And dad can't find another job. And they can't pay school fees. And school just represents so much not just to Eniola, but also to his parents, his little sister. I love his little sister. I love Busola. She is a great character. There are very excellent little sisters in this novel. I will say that. (laughs) The little sisters are rock stars. Yeah, they're awesome. But I do want to talk about what school represents. I mean, the teachers are not necessarily nice. There are a couple of things that did shock me a little bit. I, I wasn't expecting children to be hit because their school fees weren't paid. And I'm going to start with kind of a big question, but are we looking at the legacy of colonialism in Nigeria with just that piece of it? That's a good question. And I'm not sure that I can accurately answer it. The boarding school system, which is not reflected here, is definitely Mm -hmm. part of the legacy of colonialism. And many of the practices in terms of corporate punishment. I think it's also a practice that is unfortunately quite common outside of that historical experience. And school is such a huge part of Eniola's life because for him and for his family, it is a way out. 
you know, but outside of what it represents for him, it's also a tool, you know, in the hand of the people that wield power in this community and they recognize that. And what kind of education is provided? You know, you talked about um, the sack of the history teachers mm-hmm. and that was something that actually happened. And I wanted to think through that, consider how that was impactful and the kind of consequences that I think it even had until now on the Edison in Nigeria. You know, the flip side of Iniola's experience is Warola. I mean, she's a medical student and she the world is in front of her. She can do whatever she'd like, but her struggle is slightly different. And I don't think it's necessarily unfamiliar to an American audience. I mean, here she is, her parents are pushing her to get married because she's staring at 30. They're not focused on the fact that they've got this really smart daughter who's about to be a doctor, which is very complicated. And they're kind of like, well, have you gotten married yet? And then she brings home a boy that they think is very, very acceptable. And I have many, many notes on her boyfriend, none of which can be repeated on this show because (laughs) he thinks he's a stand-up guy and his parents think he's a stand-up guy. And Warola's parents think she's he's a stand-up guy. She keeps trying to tell herself that he's a stand-up guy because I think she just feels this very intense pressure to be married and to settle down and do what this dude wants. And he's just, he's who he is. But <laughs> this guy is the worst. <laughs> he's the worst. So here's the thing. Can we talk about these two characters? Did you start with the characters? Did you start with the story? I mean, there's some thematic consistency with Stay With Me, but this is a much bigger book, and it's third person, and it's there are way more characters and way more moving parts. But where did this start? For me, Eniola was at the heart of the novel right from the beginning. And, you know, I'd had this, experience where I had seen a neighborhood that I was so shocked by mm-hmm. um, even though I'd lived in the city for several years since I think I was we moved there when I was eight okay and I'd never been in a neighborhood as encouraged as that and I think the idea I was just stunned by how blind I was and how little that I knew of a city that I felt that you know in 2012 or 2013 that I felt well oh, this is my city but I, I knew so little about it and that was at the back of my mind. And a few months later, I started thinking about this boy, Eniola. And that's when I knew that I had, first of all, I thought it was a short story. And then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it was, first of all, a short story. And it was when I got to the end of the short story that I realized it was the first chapter of a book. Because it then ended with this interaction between Eniola and Motara, who's the little sister from the other family. So then I began with the two of them as the Hancock characters. And that they were the Hancock characters for the first draft. And then I came back to the beginning and realized that the Hancock character for the other family was a different person. Oh, that's so interesting because I do, I know I mentioned this at the top of the show, but the little sisters, the little sisters are free in a way that Eniola and Warola are not. And, you know, mm. it's partially that oldest child thing, and it's partially believing what your parents tell you. Mm. And then the little sisters are just like, none of you know what's going on. 
Not one of you has a clue. <laughs> I just want to go to school. And to see these sort of minefields that are laid out, school should be, you know, the way that you find a new life and, and make something of whatever's coming next. And marriage, for most people, should be a very happy occasion. They should both represent your future. And instead, they both seem very sadly complicated in mm. and coded a little bit in desperation. I mean, I go back and forth on whether or not Rola really wants to be married. I'm not, I'm not sold on the idea that she actually wants to be married. She's just kind of like, yeah, I need to do this and the party's fine and yay, but I really want to make my parents happy. <laughs> She's just not. This, I mean, this might not be her path. I don't think she wants to. I think she's she's that daughter that has done all the right things to the point yeah. where she almost doesn't know who she is. She has a difficult time separating what she wants with, from what is expected of her. And I think that's the same thing with the marriage question. There's such a fusion for her yeah. between what is expected of her and what she then does that it, it takes her a while to figure out yeah, maybe, maybe this is enough for me right now. I suppose too. Growing up with a mom like Yeye, <laughs> I love her. I love mom. I really do. There are some moments where I was very glad Yeye was not my mom. One of the set pieces in this book, we're at Yeye's fiftieth birthday party, and this is a really big deal. This is a really, really big deal. Her dad had died when she was younger. There was a very good chance that she and her sisters were going to have a very bad life because of that, because of the cultural structure of her class and her community. And we learn so much about her in the span leading up to this party and her mm -hmm. sisters and how her sister saved the other sisters because she married well. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking about the 1940s. We're not talking, like, this is all very kind of current. And I don't see how Warola wouldn't know that. Like, this is what I'm... Like the, the obligation comes mm -hmm. first. And she's clearly a little bit of a daddy's girl too. I mean, yeah. she really loves her dad. <laughs> and it's very sweet to see. <laughs> but she's not marrying her dad, that's for sure. No, she's not. I mean, she's just not. And <laughs> I feel for the women though, because the misogyny mm. is pretty intense. And again, this is a novel that's set in the present day. Like, we're not going back in time. This is not, you have not decided to write about Lagos in 1920 or 1930. Mm -hmm. This is like right now. And mm -hmm. it feels like it cuts across all classes. Like, it's just a mm -hmm. piece of the country's culture. And I'm just wondering mm -hmm. how that, I mean, you live there now. What's that like for you when you're not putting it into your art? I think that. The misogyny is so woven into everyday life uh, uh -huh. that I think sometimes it becomes invisible. And that's one of the things I wanted to do with this book. Right, right. Um, to look at all the ways that it's sort of normalized and it, right. it seeps into your consciousness. You know, over yeah. time, you keep getting all these messages about what matters and what should matter and what your life should ultimately be mm -hmm. about that um, I feel like sometimes people don't see it anymore um, mm. in certain instances. And so for instance, when Matara begins to count 
how many times we talked to her about getting married. I, I, this, there was a time when I said, you know, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to make somebody do this in fiction. Um, so what had happened was, this was right off the back of publishing Stay With Me. Mm-hmm, and I'd mm-hmm. done an event in Lagos. Okay. And after the event, and this gentleman comes to me and says, you know, I'm very happy to hear about everything you're doing. I don't know this guy. And then it's like, oh, are you married? And I'm like, no, I'm not. And then he goes like, oh, well, you should get married because all these things are not as important. And I'm just looking at this dude. And I mean, I'm not sure I laughed in his face, but in my head, I was just laughing. Like, what are you saying? And then I walked away. And I think for the rest of the week, I was sort of thinking, why would somebody think? Right. That it can walk up to me randomly and yeah. say this, that it's acceptable to mm-hmm. say this. And they probably think they're well-intentioned. I don't know. I don't know. So that's one of the things I wanted to do, that I wanted to look at not just the big manifestations, you right. know, of misogyny, but the everyday aggressions, you know, not so micro really. Oh, no. Many, many women go grow mm-hmm. with. You know, I mean, for instance, part of our origin story is that our own mother did not have a son and our father had a son outside of the marriage. And therefore, Mm -hmm. the son was the inheritor, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's all these things that have formed someone like he and she might not even have the language or speak in that language. But some of it has shaped who she is and how she interacts with her world, how she positions herself, even in her marriage. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be taken care of if anything goes right here. That was very important for me. That mm-hmm. I mean, as a young girl growing up in Nigeria, it was something that at a certain point, I think, I came up against. Because I right. think I was fortunate enough that it wasn't a thing in my family, really. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it was more shocking to me <laughs> by the yeah. time I got out of the house. And I'm like, what? I mean, I'm always surprised when women internalize misogyny, and I shouldn't be. I just, I shouldn't mm. be. Like, I, the, and, and it just, I'm always really disappointed, to be honest, that there are women who buy into this storyline that somehow we are not meant to be in a space that we're in. You know, everyone's going to do what they're going to do. People are people. I, I, I absolutely understand that. But yay, yay, especially, I mean, I really like her as a character. I she loves her children. She's just mm. a little ill-equipped, especially with Motara, <laughs> who is her own person. And yet there are people who are just like, no, she's spoiled. She's spoiled. And I'm like, and at first when we meet her, you kind of nod your head and go, yeah, she's a little spoiled. She, and then you realize she's not spoiled. She just sees the truth. And part of what you're doing in a spell of good things is breaking through this idea of what's truth, what's reality, what's, what do consequences mean? I mean, there are some characters who function without any consequence to their decisions. Mm -hmm. And then there are others who are not as lucky. I mean, you are playing with really big ideas. And yet some of it is about who eats when and how Mm. they get fed or how mm-hmm. their school fees, or how mm. their environment shapes them. I mean, at one point, Eniola is learning how to be a tailor. Mm-hmm. 
but his parents can't even pay the apprentice fees, so he might not get to be a tailor. Like, this kid is just out of options completely, and not any of it is by his choice. Not, not one thing is by his choice. And we're all a, kind of the same thing, only from a different angle. Neither of them really has a choice. So for you as the writer, how do you give yourself space to breathe in a story like that? I mean, there are moments where the story gets very, very intense. There are moments where, and, and it needs to, and it's exactly where things need to go. But for you, living in this 24-7. I mean, I think for me, honestly, it's part of it is one that it took a while to write. So mm-hmm. I was taking chunks of time away from it you know and there were times when I just needed a break from it really and I would just take a break Mm -hmm. and the other thing was really that I found two cats okay or more than two that I really enjoyed and who for me had that freedom and it's the little sisters you know I I really loved writing their chapters you know and the way they move in the world, you, they, they are at stages in their lives where their spirits have not been broken. Yeah. You know, the way that many people around them have had their spirits broken. And they was just such a delight, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And sometimes I would jump forward and make notes about them yeah. just because I wanted to get them. It was also fun to throw the party. Yeah. And have all the sisters come down. Oh, Yes. <laughs> The sisters are excellent. Yeye's sisters are excellent. And I can imagine. So I luckily got to go to a Nigerian wedding in the States once. Oh. And uh, between the food and the dresses and the dancing and the everything else, y'all know how to throw a party. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, y'all know how to throw a party. It was so much fun. It was ridiculous. And I don't really dance in public. It's just, I can't. Oh, no, I danced. I danced. You have to. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was so great. But I, I was kind of thinking, a friend of mine's little brother married a Nigerian woman. And mm. I was just like, yeah, I totally get this. I absolutely, yeah. like, I can see this party. I can see the food and the, just all of it. Um, I, yeah, I can imagine that was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so that was fun to write. You know, just have everybody show up and have just a good mm. old Nigerian party. That's so great. Did anything surprise you? While you were writing, I mean, I know you said when you were writing The Little Sisters, you would sometimes jump, but there's so much that happens and there's so many moments where the collision of characters or circumstance um, is so great. It's so great. So there were many things that surprised me, you know, Mm -hmm. as I was writing it. And, you know, I initially thought there would be two characters really at the center of everything and then it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and I'm one of those writers that I don't know I think it happens to many people I think I know the story I want to write when I'm going in you know with a novel but I mean I've done it two times now so I think it's probably going to be the same going forward but by the time I get into the middle of it it's like I've discovered a totally different story you know it began as the story of two teenagers living in the city and then it became the story of the city you know the story of two families yeah I was surprised by that it meant Mm -hmm. that it took longer to finish than I thought it would (laughs) can we talk about your literary influences for a second you've studied with Chimamanda Adichie you've studied with Margaret Atwood but 
Who are some of the writers who helped make you the writer you are now? I mean, I think for this book in particular, that's Safiata, who's mm-hmm. Everything Good Will Come was a very important book for me. I remember the first time I saw it in, in a supermarket and I remember reading it and just not stopping. And it's a book that I've gone back to quite a number of times because mm-hmm. I think it has so much to say about Nigeria, about being a woman in Nigeria, mm-hmm. about the Nigerian state that is still so relevant. Even now, you know, so that's one writer and one book that I absolutely love. I mean, I've been reading quite a bit of Elizabeth Strout recently, and I really just have been having a great time. Lucy by the Sea. Lucy by the Sea is... is I haven't got into that yet. Okay, you have a treat coming. You have a treat. I had a little bit of a oh, crush on William and O. William, and I'm just like, I have a little bit of a crush on a fictional character <laughs> who's old enough to be my dad. This is a little weird, but okay. I, she, I will follow her anywhere. I will, I will follow her anywhere. I just, her, the language is beautiful. The characters yeah. are amazing. She's constantly surprising me. It's I mean, incredible. I, she's, oh, so good. <laughs> so good. Yeah. I have a friend who, absolutely love us at work and we both we would like read and just text each other like I've finished this morning you know so so that's one person whose work is just you know I think it's nourishing me as a writer at the moment Jhumpa Lahiri I really love love our work I mean I read a short story collection I think when I was working in a bank here it was the first time Uh I read her work and it was just like, oh, yeah, this is why I want to write. I need to get out of this bank. Jumpa writes about those hinge. Like, she does that moment where before tips into after. And it's like two sentences. Yeah. And it's this hinge moment. And, you know, it's the thing, obviously, that every writer aims for, right? Like, that's the whole point is to show that something has changed, right? And she just does it. And you kind of have to sit there for a minute. <laughs> you just have to sit there. With whatever, like, because it's at most two sentences, maybe three. Usually she does it in a single sentence and you're like, oh, there is no going back. There is no. And I just remember reading Interpreter of Maladies when it first came out and thinking. This is what a story collection is supposed to be. This is I do love stories. I really love short stories. Yeah, I love story collection. She's really the bomb. (laughs) And then I love. What it means when a man falls down from the sky, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just love that. It was, it was incredible. Leslie Neka Arima. And then Zizi Parker's drinking coffee elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love the fact, too, that you have this sort of wide perspective of writers that you're drawing from. I know I said this to you before we started taping, but yes, I'm in Nigeria, in your world, as I'm reading this book, and yet I feel like I'm seeing America reflected back to me right now. Present day America reflected to me. And, and the idea that I went to Nigeria to find my own country, it's just, I mean, that's why we read, right? Like, yeah. it's just that, that connection to another world and to characters that I would not meet outside of your work. And I just, I really, I didn't want to put the book down at all while I was reading, but there were moments where... I really kind of had to take a deep breath and step back a little bit because this is, this is life. This is, there are complications and we don't always get to do what we want to do, but also sometimes you don't 
get to make choices because you don't have any. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. so, I mean, your characters, do you miss them? Yeah, I think I, yeah. I do. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. Um, I'm trying to get into the next one so that I have new friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I, I miss some of the characters, mostly yeah. the little sister, you know. I don't want to add, it's not so much that there's another book in this book, because I feel like this world is really, it's exactly what it needs to be. And it ended exactly the way Mm. I expected. And that's really all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) I don't want to spoil it for anyone. But at the same time, it seems like there's so much like Auntie Caro and Mm -hmm. the women, I really connected with the women in a way that didn't surprise me. But like Auntie Caro is great. And I know I've talked about Orla's mom. But even Aniola's mom, like she makes Mm. some bad calls. She really does. Mm. I mean, she has her children begging on the street and pretending to be blind. And she's pretending Mm. to be blind and Aniola is pretending to be deaf and mute. But she really does. She loves her family. She wants the best for her children she has to make really hard choices that I would hope no one would ever have to make. She's not going to have an easy path. Like she's just Mm. not. And at one point, even one of her brothers is like, you should divorce your husband. She's like, why would I do that? Why would I do that? Why are you treating this? Like it's a disposable thing. Like, yes, he lost his job, but it's out of his hands. And now you're telling me I can't come home unless I get divorced. It just feels like the pressure is on everyone yeah and the men are a little clueless <laughs> the men. not Eniola. that can he he feels everything he feels everything and he sees everything but there are other men where i'm just like oh you're just bopping through life yeah i can think of a particular man who's, who's uh-huh. on that, you know, in this book and I mean, I, I kind of do like him. I think he's a nice guy, but he's just has such a good life. He doesn't think anything could go. He's not right about that. And I mean, I think that, I mean, with in your last father, for instance, yeah. I, I wanted to think about what it's like to have someone in the family who's having a mental health crisis, what that means for him and what that means for those who love him and yeah. who are trying to love him through this difficult time, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and what do you mean for people that give him as much grace as they would, you know, if he had a physical sickness, you know, if mm-hmm. he was, if he, if he had something that was physically wrong with him, wrong with his body, mm-hmm. he would have received more grace, you know, because I guess it's visible and they're like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. he's sick. But he's having trouble with his mind and many people are just like, you should just get off the bed. Right. And it's not that simple. It's not that simple. I mean, Eniola's journey is really, it's powerful. It's certainly not what his parents wanted or what he Mm -hmm. would have thought. But there's a certain Mm -hmm. inevitability to it because he's out of options. Mm -hmm. He's out of Mm -hmm. options. And the idea that he's still, like, you have this great line about him where you say, you know, when he was little, he would close his eyes mm-hmm. when something went wrong because he thought, well, if, other, if he couldn't see anyone, no one could see him. And that's such a sweet little kid thing to think. Mm. By the end of the book, he's still that kid in some ways. Yeah. But it, 
doesn't serve him well. Yeah. I'm really hoping he's okay. I'm talking about mm. a fictional character like he's a real person, but I'm hoping he's okay. I'm hoping we're all as okay. I think ultimately they're going to be, but yeah. I love ending a book and, and thinking about the world and the people mm. after mm. I'm done. And, you know, it doesn't happen with every book. <laughs> it just doesn't. <laughs> You don't necessarily get haunted every book. Let's let's not pretend that every book hits you the same. I had a similar response actually to Sing Unburied Sing, the Jasmine mm. Ward from a few years ago, and mm. and just wondering about JoJo. And I'm like, is that kid okay? Mm. Like, is that mm. kid okay? It happens. <laughs> Comes with the job. I'm a bookseller. Yeah, what do you expect? <laughs> I mean, I think even for me as a writer. I sometimes, and this is really weird, you know, sometimes I think about my characters and I think that, I mean, when I'm writing, they become real people to me. You know, when I was a kid, I think my grandmother was bothered at one point because I used to talk to myself. <laughs> so you were going to be a writer, basically. There was no going back. There was no choice. There was, you were already doing it as a tiny person. <laughs> Because I used to talk to myself, you know, I could I would have all these conversations yeah. with all these people I've made up and I was talking mm-hmm, to them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, many times, when I particularly with a book, I just feel like these people are living their lives. They're somewhere yeah. and their lives are continuing. I'm just not yeah. with them anymore. Yeah. It's weird, yeah. but sometimes that's how we feel. Well, but it also tells me that whoever wrote that particular book did their job. Right, mm-hmm. that we're so oh, absorbed in the story and so caught up. The thing is, too, the pacing in A Spell of Good Things is really spectacular, too. Like, it's always mm-hmm. the story is always moving forward and not in a way that made me feel rushed and not in a way that made me think. I mean, yes, there were a couple of moments where I needed to stop because something happened and mm. I needed to process the thing that happened. But I, never felt like I was taken out of the world ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and occasionally, you know, it happened. You read a lot, you know, there are times where you're just like, Oh, what just happened? No, I always needed to know what was happening next. Mm-hmm. And there were times where I hoped for something to happen and maybe something different happened. I was doing a full body read on a spell for good things. Oh. I was in it. <laughs> I was in this book. I'm glad to hear that. But for you, and I know I keep coming back to this, but like for you as the writer, this is a really intense experience. Are you hopeful though? Do you believe we can actually change? Can people evolve? I mean, I am, I am. I think I'm a hopeful person, actually. Yeah. When I finish Stay With Me, I, I said to myself, I'm never writing a sad book again. I will not do this. And... Um, hi. <laughs> I mean, it's sad in the right way, sad in the right way, sad in the, I have a heart, it is beating, I love these people, even the ones that are, well, I, you know who I don't love. <laughs> but, I mean. Yeah, I think that when I write characters, when I write a book, I have to care about the characters. I really yeah. become yeah. invested in the story. Mm-hmm. Or I wouldn't finish it. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to give up at some point, you know. 
I just, I got so attached. I got so, so attached to the people I got attached to. And then, you know, the one I want to punt into the sun. I really want to punt that guy into the sun. I really, he was going to always be that person. And readers will find yeah. out how he ended up that, like, he is just, he's that guy. And yeah. he has no choice either. But I still want to punt him into the sun. I really <laughs> want to punt him into the sun. Really, and it's yeah. it's so wonderful to be able to talk about this very intense, big political novel. I mean, you're talking about trust and desperation and love and hate. All of these, all of the things that drive literature and art, and you and I can at least laugh about it because the humanity is always there. Like as yeah. long as you can see the humanity, it's just it's one of those reading experiences where you get to feel everything. You get to feel everything. Yeah, reading's a really cool thing. And I'm so grateful you wrote this book. Yeah. I am so grateful that you wrote a spell of good things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, readers. It's time for another TBR Top Off. We're going to recommend a couple of books to pick up when you stop in for your copy of Spell of Good Things. I'm Mark. I'm coming to you from my Barnes & Noble in Cincinnati, and I'm joined by my book buddy, Jamie. Hello. Hi, Mark. I'm coming to you from my Barnes & Noble in Leawood, Kansas. We've got a couple of great books to talk about. I'm going to jump right in. I was thinking about novels that have a Nigerian cultural uh, experience, uh, Nigerian authors, uh, stories that take place in Nigeria, and I couldn't not talk about the Girl with the Louding Voice by Abby Dare. This is a lovely book. It will destroy you and give you a hug afterwards in the best way. It is a lovely debut novel. It tackles realistic hardship. It uses a very authentic narration. And the heroine, she is so charismatic. And her Louding Voice, as the uh, title uh, shares, will just echo in your heart for a long time after you finish the book. We follow Aduni. She is 14. She has just lost her mother. She is being sold off by her father to a man to be a third wife. And the idea of transcending beyond this life in her Nigerian village is essentially laughable by most. But she is determined and she knows that an education is one surefire way to help get her out of this village and into the world that she is so curious and hungry for. The journey that she embarks upon to find her voice and her worth is heartbreaking, but it is also heartmending. Uh, this is a story that really showcases a lot of what a young woman in Nigeria could really go through, but it is also filled with so much hope and so much inspiration. Uh, this is a character who I just want to spend so much time with her. I want to give her a hug. I want to give her anything that she wants because I think she truly deserves it. So please check out The Girl with the Louding Voice by Abby Dare. Jamie, what do you have for us? Uh, well, I have another book, uh, another Nigerian, contemporary Nigerian fiction book, uh, also about the experience of women in Nigeria. Black Sunday, uh, the author is uh, Tola Rotimi Abraham. It was a really compelling debut, um, which had the misfortune of being published just a couple weeks before the pandemic shut down. And so a lot of readers, I'm afraid, might have missed this great book. The story's built around four siblings, really it focuses mostly on these older twin sisters 
whose middle-class lives have been turned completely upside down. Their mother works for the government, and she loses her job as a result of a lot of political upheaval in 1990s Lagos. And then their father gambles away what they have left um, on a scheme that fails horribly. And so these girls are already living kind of right on the edge of just total chaos when their parents leave and leave them and effectively orphan them. The girls are left to fend for um, themselves and for their younger brothers, their two younger brothers. They have to eventually relocate and move to their grandmother's home. And while they're, you know, very urban kids who are raised in the new church, um, their grandmother is a traditional Yoruban woman, and she really is struggling um, to understand these two orphaned girls who've had to break with a lot of society's norms and kind of take on the financial responsibility of feeding their younger brothers when it comes down to it. They're just trying to cope with the loss of their parents um, while just struggling to survive when they get taken in by their grandma. And as the story continues from that point, the, the, the POV shifts um, between all four siblings. And we catch uh, glimpses of their diverging lives over the years, um, especially though the chapters that focus on the twins who were once inseparable, um, but have moved on and, and gone on to do different things as they get older. And each character has just a, a unique and beautiful voice. The writing is poetic at times. Some of these glimpses we get uh, capture just truly lovely moments. Uh, the twins chapters, like I said, in particular are stunning. And you just feel deeply connected to these women as time passes. And you see how they cope with this life that they inherited. The book beautifully unfolds as a decades-long story and is just rich with details about Nigerian culture, the role religion plays, and politics. And it is, as I said before, just studded with beautiful, beautiful prose. Such a good pick. And you're right. Like I, I do feel like uh, a lot of folks maybe missed out on this one because of the timing for the release, but please do not sleep on this. It's such... It's such a rich novel, such a great companion for Spell of Good Things. So nice choice as usual. So that is all we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning into Port Over. Please make sure to give us a rating and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on our socials at Barnes & Noble. Pretty simple. I'm Mark. You can follow my home store at BN Westchester. And I'm Jamie. You can follow my home store at BN Leewood KS. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Have a wonderful day and happy reading. Bye. Bye, Mark. Thank you for listening. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.